today's offering message I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 38 from verse 1 through to verse 8. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death and Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos came to him and said to him thus says the Lord set your house in order for you shall die you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on a dial of a house turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial ten steps by which it had declined. Um, what you don't know is that for today's offering, um, it's actually it's after 8 p.m. on the Saturday before today's service, um, and I had to be reminded that I was doing the offering message. I had completely forgotten, and uh, thankfully, Hercules sent me a message, um, and I saw it. So, you know, offering message? Question mark. Um, so yeah, I needed to be reminded of something that I had agreed to do. And unlike me, obviously our God, he doesn't need to be reminded necessarily of the things that, that he has promised to do. And he's agreed to do. Um, and that might be something that's, that's just in his word, in the Bible, that we know we can take hold of, the promises of God. Or it may be something very specific that that God has spoken to us, you know, very personal to us about our lives and uh, things to things to come. And I believe today that you know God wants to revive some of those things, and and the message is that you know, God wants to bring some of those things which are seemingly close to death, you know, about to expire, that we may have pushed to the back of our minds or completely just forgotten about that God wants to revive some of those things which are seemingly at the point of death and bring them back to life you know um, in accordance with with his promises as we see God is able to add years to things you know which are yeah about to to come to an end you know in in the hands of our God things are possible which in our hands are not possible um, but like Malisha spoke about last week with the promises of God and with the blessings there comes conditions you know and those conditions may be our financial commitment it may be something that God said that we need to do need to change let go of whatever those conditions that, that God has brought we know he's faithful to do what he's he has said and he's faithful to do his part but where things fail is where we're unfaithful and we don't feel 
our part of the agreement you know so when you bring your offering today just take a moment to think about those things some of those things that you know those things that you know God has spoken to you about those promises those things that he is faithful to fulfill and perform and ask yourself the question are, are you doing your part you know um, I've asked and answered that for myself on some things that I need I know I need to make adjustments on um, but yeah bear that in mind you know, including with your giving your financial giving instructions on that are very clear in God's word I'm not going to go into that now but um but just think about the things that that God wants to do for you those promises and you know he wants to bring them back those things back for us so um yeah uh, enjoy the rest of your day be blessed and i hopefully see you soon amen Good morning. It's such a blessing to spend some time with you before the end of this year. And uh, I believe God still wants to speak to us. Uh, so don't turn that page yet. Um, I know some of you just want to put this year behind you and move along into the new year with a clean slate uh, and just get this year behind you. But I believe God still wants to uh, just share a few things with us. Um, I remember about a year ago, uh, I uh, spent time with a guy called Victor, um, a guy that really loves the Lord um, of, and he's part of the turning. And, and I remember we did some street evangelism outreaches here in Wimbledon, in London. And um, we uh, approached people and we shared the gospel with them. And the one guy that we reached out to immediately said to us, listen, I am an atheist, so please don't bother. Don't waste your time. And um, I was actually expecting Victor at the time to immediately, you know, start to convince the guy and to talk about why does he not believe and, you know, what's wrong, what did he experience in the past that was negative. Uh, because those are the things that I normally would do with people that are struggling to get to the faith. And um, I would spend hours in just trying to convince them. And um, and so immediately Victor responded in saying, um, I thank you for your time. Um, I believe you're not ready for the gospel yet. Uh, as soon as you are, you can um, uh, maybe contact us again. And uh, he walked off and I was just following <laughs> after him. And um, I, I, I asked him, so Victor, what was that about? You know, what, what happened there? And he said to me, listen, um, he's clearly not ready for the gospel. Clearly in his heart, he still needs to um, be prepared for what God has installed for him. Um, it also comes out of a place of, God assigns certain people for a certain time and so to receive the gospel, but people must open their hearts. And, and so I've learned quite an important lesson there, that day because I realized that God prepares the hearts of people and people need to respond by uh, opening their hearts and to, to receive him. 
And so I see this picture in Psalm 14. It's actually a uh, Psalm of David. It says here, to the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the earth uh, in the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. And so this is a psalm of David. It's a psalm of wisdom. It's also a psalm of lament because God is seeking for his people of faith in David's generation um, as he's looking for people of faith in this generation. And so in every generation, in every culture, we are confronted with the same thing. Is God real? <laughs> and where is he when we look at the chaos that prevails around us? Now, David observed the faithless and he recognized that without God, there's always a moral decay. And so let me, let me maybe just read this. The fool does not necessarily proclaim his unbelief from the rooftops, but display it in his evil ways. This is so true. Listen to it again. The fool does not necessarily proclaim his unbelief from the rooftops, but display it in his evil ways. So David immediately then starts to compare the fool with the wise. And he recognized that there's a very definite difference. What is that difference? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, three things that I want to leave with you. The first one is the difference is the perspective in which they are following and um, applying life. So Psalm 14 verse 1 says, and I just want to read it again. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So in this time frame, you must just remember that David lived in a time where everyone actually believed that there is a God. Nobody had a doubt that God exists or that a God exists. Some even that there was plural, um, you know, uh, um, gods and um, that there was um, uh, many gods that uh, actually, you know, they had to serve. So, so the idea that people were not... Um, aware of a God existing or a more powerful being that existed was actually not what was portrayed here. It speaks of something that was in the heart of the fool. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, which means that he knows that, he, that God exists, but deliberate, deliberately deny it so that he subdue his emotions in order, in order to correlate his actions toward it. 
And, and this is exactly what happens in our generation, is that people want to just um, soothe their conscience. And um, even though deep down inside they know that there's a God and that there's something more powerful than we as humans um, existing out there, a creator, um, they rather deny it because they don't need to deal with the, um, the, the consequence of submitting to such a thing. Now, in David's lifetime, there was actually an image of such a fool, and the Bible speaks about it in the form of Nabal. Now, Nabal was a man um, that had a lot of flock. He was quite rich. His wife was Abigail. And, um, and David, at this stage, was running away from Saul. He was looking after his men. And um, they had to get provision from the people that they protected. So they actually just um, uh, produced their services uh, to people. Um, he had about 200, 300 men that was uh, following him at the time. And, um, and they would then make sure that the people that they uh, connect with, um, that they uh, look after them and that they um, protect them against any enemy. So David was in a difficult position um, because they were hungry and, um, and he went to Nabal and he said, listen, because we looked after your flock and your shepherds, uh, please look after us. And so Nabal refused and he went on with his uh, festivity at the time and David got very cross. He um, asked his men to get their swords ready and they were about to to go and slaughter all the men of Nabal uh, to the point where he said that there will not be one left the next morning. And so Abigail, his wife, then made a plan. She um, got all the provisions ready for David and his men, more than enough. And she went into the field with all of the donkeys and, and provisions. And uh, she met David and she asked him for mercy. And in doing so, David actually forgave um, her and, um, and the household of Nabal. But Nabal was not aware of this. Um, and so when she got back home, um, he actually died because of the news that she favored David and that she went uh, around his back. Um, but David then you know, really just uh, blessed her and, um, and he also then um, took her as his wife. Um, but it says in 1 Samuel 25, verse 25, it says, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. He's a fool. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you send. And in doing so, in recognizing the anointing upon David's life and his men and seeing the will of God, she engaged into history and she saved her household. Even though Nabal died afterwards, she was the one that brought redemption to, uh, to the house. And so Nabal was known as a fool. Why? Because he did not recognize the agenda and the anointed of God. And so his wife had to compensate even for his foolishness. I believe there's lots of Nabals in the world today 
that uh, choose to follow their own belly and status rather than to recognize the hand and agenda of God. And they deliberately fight against what God wants to see um, happen. And so Proverbs 18 verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. It's strange that, you know, these days everyone has an opinion. That when we talk about foolishness today, we must also recognize that people so easily say to you, oh, I just need to vent, you know, on you. <laughs> I just need to speak my mind rather than to listen and to assess in order to gain wisdom. To have opinions um, without godly perspective lacks wisdom. And so, you know, Psalm 14 verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand people with wisdom and who seek after God. And so my question today is, if God is searching around, are you part of those that he loves, those who believe in him, believe in his word? Genesis 11, 5, um, similar scripture. So Genesis 11, verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. Now we know the, the outcome of Babel, um, but God surveys the land to investigate what the men of faith are up to. And so the same happens today. Psalm 14, verse 3, they've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so we must recognize that apart from him, there's nothing good that we can do. Because without him in our lives, um, everything falls into decay. Everything falls into moral um, decay. Until we recognize that we need him that he is the source of our lives. And so verse 4 of, of chapter 14 says, Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? And so they are called the evildoers. It's not God's people. <laughs> they eat my people as easy as often as they would eat bread. And so um, God is actually offended by this. God is not happy with the fact that um, those who don't recognize him and don't believe in him are fighting against his people. We see this picture in Micah 3 verse 3. It says, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from all of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh, in a cauldron, um, denying God does not improve human morals. It actually uh, brings us to a place of devastation, of depravity. And so we see all around us in the world today that uh, people are backstabbing one another, they are grabbing, they are lying, they are stealing, they are killing. And so the question is, you know, where is God in all of this? <laughs> God's presence is with his people. And so 
Still, we believe we have a more modern and better morals and we are more free than any generation before us. The strange thing is, if we look at the world that we are living in, it's not reflecting that truth. And so we don't always kill, but we cause to even kill. There's wars happening, there's depression, there's suicide. And so without God, uh, we amount to nothing. So the big difference between the people of God and those who are foolish, according to the Bible, is that their perspective is different, <laughs> that they believe in God as the ultimate source of everything that they do. So the second thing that we must um, recognize uh, as a difference between the fool and those with wisdom is the one they prioritize. Psalm 14 verse 5 then says, they, they, they are in great terror for God is with the generation of the righteous. So those who follow God, those who recognize him, those who allow him in their lives, um, experience the presence of God with them. Psalm 53 verse 5 says, terror, terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame for God has rejected them. And so the shame about um, not knowing God or not recognizing him is the absence of God. The fact that you don't have God in your life and that you don't have his backing. And so without God's presence, um, you experience the loneliness of not prioritizing him as the greatest blessing that you live for. And so Psalm 14 verse 6 then says, You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. And so when it speaks about the poor, it actually parallels that with the righteous. Uh, the poor find refuge in him. And so opposite to that is the rich. Those who are materially rich, but spiritually so poor. Their plans come to be of shame. His refuge is actually enough for those who call upon his name. And so these poor people that he's referring to is the people that are maybe materially not so rich and in the eyes of the world not so rich, but they find their protection and their safety within him. They know that doing his will make them rich. Their wealth does not lie within what they have, but in having him. Their wealth does not lie in, in the things that they gather, but rather in who they are in God. Their plans does not come to shame because they find him as the reward and his plans the goal of their lives. And so we recognize that people that are wise are the people that set their priorities in making God first in everything in their lives. And so thirdly, um, the difference between the fool and those who are wise is the one that they confess. As Psalm 14 verse 7 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. 
when the Lord restores the fortune of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. You know, my, my daughter actually this morning went uh, for football in the rain um, and she brought back this medal, um, probably man of the match or something. Um, but immediately entering the, the front door, you know, she was just proclaiming this. She was just telling us what happened and, you know, so excited about the goodies that she got at the end of the season and so excited to tell us about it. And that's what happens when we love to do something. Um, that which we, we believe in, we actually confess. It's not difficult to spend time with people and soon discover what is the priority in their lives because they confess it. They actually speak about it. So always when you want to get to know a person, you, um, you try to figure out what is the passion in their lives. And, and when you push that button, they immediately start to speak about it. You know, they can tell you about their work and their workplace and what the, they are busy doing and um, what new ground they are actually um, reaching um, toward. And, you know, they will tell you the whole story. You can't stop them. Um, and so when you hit that spot, you know that you're actually going to have a good night of um, fellowship because you've actually now um, uh, uh, reached their, their passion. And so this is actually what happens when you start to look at those who are wise because their mouth speaks about what God is doing in their lives. They will recognize God they will recognize what he's doing and they will always be able to have a testimony for what God is doing in their lives. They talk about him. And so they come to salvation and they confess him as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Um, and it even says here, uh, he restores the fortune of his, his people. He let Jacob rejoice and Israel to be glad. And so those who are wise actually find God to, to, uh, to be not just their refuge, but also the one that they want to speak about, that they want to confess and uh, make the Lord of their lives. And so my uh, challenge to each one of you this morning is to recognize that you need to actually confess Christ as your Savior. You must reach out to him and allow him to become the Lord of your life. So just a few things in conclusion this morning. The first thing is God examines the earth to find people of faith. The second thing is them he calls the wise. Those who are in faith. Those who he can find on earth as his people. The third one is the, the unwise, those who don't believe in him, deny him and do harm to his people. And this is a difficult one to realize because if you look at the hate and um, the opposition that Christians receive these days, you must recognize that there is unwise, foolish people that don't have the perspective of God in their lives. And so... Number four, their works lead to moral decay due to the nature of their hearts without him. Without God in our lives to transform us, 
we will fall into moral decay. We will scheme and connive and do whatever is necessary um, to, to win, to survive, to be the best, to have a name, to, uh, to be better than other people around us. Number five, he surrounds those who choose him with his presence. For those who loves him, he wants to love back. He wants to surround with his presence. And then number six, through his people, he make himself known on the earth. And so his presence is not just with his people. He glorifies himself and he, he, he tells the word, world about himself by portraying it through his people. And then lastly, you can be part of his people. And so I want to end off this morning by, um, by maybe, you know, just asking you, inviting you to become part of his people. You know, it's, it's as simple as confessing him as the Lord and Savior of your life. To start to receive his word as the ultimate truth in your life. To recognize that he exists and that he's a powerful force within your life. To become part of a local community of believers that you can grow with. And to, um, to start to communicate with him through prayer. To receive his Holy Spirit to empower you to, uh, to be the person and actually portraying his presence to the world out there. This morning, you have the opportunity to be part of his family. He does not want you to be alone, and he does not want you to be on the outside. He wants you to be part of his people. So let us pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name of all names. And at the end of this year, we recognize that without you, we are nothing. In, within our best works, we cannot be good because only you are good. Father, we've done so many philanthropic um, things and, and we thought that those things would make us look better and that we will be able to to, uh, to do good here on earth. But Father God, in man there's nothing good. There's always an agenda. But God, when we receive you, you start to transform us from the inside out. And so we, we invite you into our lives. We ask that you will become more and we will become less. And that we will experience you in your fullness in our everyday life. I pray this morning, oh God, if there's anyone that listen to this message and still need to receive you that they would make that decision today and that they will start to follow you wholeheartedly we pray that your love will be known to them and that they will experience the life in abundance that you've called them to in the name of jesus amen thank you for listening this morning i want to encourage you to make the big decision I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, to come closer to God. To, uh, to draw so close that you will experience His presence in everything you do. 
you know what um, God wants to bless you God wants to be around you God wants to just encircle you with his presence let us live as people that portray his presence Amen.